AfterBuzzers, we are about to talk about episode six of Sun Records with the amazingly talented and creator of the show, Leslie Grace. So stick around. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Blue moon. There we go. There you have it. Thank you, Tamara, for the introduction to Blue Moon. Hello, everybody. We are so excited to get into tonight's episode with the amazing Leslie Greif. Leslie, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Being here, everyone loving the show. You, when you dream of making a show and then people love it, it's like you're pitching yourself. So. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you on the show. Um, I know you don't have a Twitter or anything, but do you want to shout out some Think Factory Media social media platforms? Uh, ThinkFactoryMedia.com. You go to our website and you'll see all our shows from uh, Not Hot to Hot with Mama June and Marriage Boot Camp and Sun Records and our every, every, every crazy show that we do. A wide variety of work from this guy. <laughs> Love it so much. And Tamara Brown, where can they find you on social media? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Brown Tamara or on Instagram at Tamara underscore blue. And hey everybody, I'm Allie Nasty. You can find me on Twitter at Allie Nasty and on Instagram at Allie Girl. Well, I cannot wait to get into this and I have so many questions. I'm sure the live chat fans will probably have something to say too. But just to jump off, how how did this come about? Well, it was it was exciting because CMT wanted to do uh, scripted shows. They'd never really done an original show before, but they have a special audience, mm-hmm. and they said, "Well, we got to appeal to the country fans." And because just we, to clarify, Nashville was originally on a, 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 ABC. ABC, was on yeah. ABC yeah. yeah, but when they bought our show, they hadn't even bought at Nashville. Uh-huh. So okay. what happened was. They wanted to do this. They wanted a music show. And I had seen the play Million Dollar Quartet, mm-hmm. which won the Tony. And it was the whole birth of Sun Records. But it took place in one night, which was the last night that Johnny Cash and Elvis, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis were ever together. Mm-hmm. And it sparked, boy, wouldn't it be great to tell the birth of rock and roll? It's America. It's ever youth. It's, it's like... We're all we're all kids. No matter how old we are, you hear that music; it's timeless. Definitely. So, we went CMT. I, I mean, I had these fabulous executives. I know people don't talk about it, but Jason Dinsmore and Brian Phillips and Seema Zagarmi. They came in and they said, "Let's not do this as a miniseries. Let's do this as a regular series." And it was so exciting. And the thing that's more, really, really, I mean, I got to brag about. We. And a big fan base. Yes. It's yes. not just CMT <laughs> we know. We know. Yeah. It's like everybody's finding the show. Yeah. I mean, it. so the other thing that's really exciting, they did buy Nashville, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. And we were going to follow it. They were our big leading. But their audience was 80% women, mm-hmm. 20% men. Our show is shifted to 50 50. Wow. It's like both men and women, they. Everybody loves it, and now that Nashville's off the air, we're holding our ratings. That's, That's great. Amazing. That's so really thank awesome. you out there for watching, because <laughs> we've kept our own fan base. We we kept the Nashville people, and we've created a new base. So thank you for watching. <laughs> yes. I'm, there we go. We've got some claps going on. Um, but seriously, I mean, this show just has this authentic feel to it, and it just... I mean, we've talked about this before. Um, I think I've said a couple times, sorry to cut you off, no, that like okay. we've had, you know, there's 
been great balls of fire and walked the line and uh, the Johnny Cash movie that had John Doe from X playing Johnny Cash. And, like, there's been so many stories um, about these guys, but this show I've mentioned a couple times is that to start from the very, very beginning is something that we we haven't seen and, and every everything together, it's almost like... You know, it's it can get like documentary almost because it's so um, just historical. Well, I I appreciate that. I mean, what we really wanted to give the show is this verisimilitude of of what it was like to go back in time mm-hmm. and really see what the pace and the rhythm and the way people dressed, the yeah. way they talked, you know, the way they moved. Uh, to, to kind of bring us back and not do a movie that just was very theatrical, meaning broad, but was something grounded. Mm-hmm. And where I give a lot, I give, I got to give credit to a lot of people because mm-hmm. the thing, Roland Joffe, who's won uh, two Oscar nominations for The Killing Field and The Mission, he approached this with me as if we were going to make a motion picture, a period piece that we're going to go back. And the film, if you're watching, ha- has really a motion picture feel because we didn't shoot a TV. We didn't shoot close-up mm-hmm. to close-up, over to over. We really designed shots. We shot with the right lights. And we got production designers and costumers that really put us back in the time. Allie noticed that from the beginning. It was very cinematic. Yeah. You said that. Yeah. It, it definitely struck my eye. And I was actually just telling um, Leslie this before the show. Um, before my dad knew about Sun Records, he had, I was talking to him about it. And he was flipping through the channels. And he was just like, yeah, I think I saw a movie like that. I was like, wait, explain, to, explain it more to me. And he was like... No, like, uh, yeah. And I was like, wait, that's that's Sun Records. That's a show, Dad. <laughs> he was like, oh, I totally thought it was a movie. And that's just someone that was totally bystander that thought he was watching a movie and he got captivated. Okay, so. Dad, I love him and I appreciate that. <laughs> I will. I mean, when, when we did Texas Rising and we did Hatfields and McCoys, mm-hmm. we took the same philosophy. Mm-hmm. But what, what really makes this special, I have to bright our cast. Yes. yes, because we can tell yeah. when you when you when you find the young cast that we got Drake Christian mm-hmm. uh, who came into this piece and Kevin I think Kevin was here mm-hmm. yes yes they they imbued our our iconic characters but as youth they didn't try to play the cliche they didn't want to do the impersonation they grounded them before they were big stars mm-hmm. so you know when you see Dustin who's going to be coming in this Carl. And you realize what these young kids were like, that it it gives you a like, oh my god, they're young. Yeah. And we cast them as eighteen. We didn't try to make twenty five year olds yeah. Yeah. to play as eighteen. So when you you don't understand it but you feel it. Oh, and definitely. And you have Chad Michael Murray, who mm-hmm. is Sam, and Billy Gardell. They're also very young for their age, because most people would have played these guys as older, 50, 60. No, uh-huh. these guys were young. Yeah. So when you put the fantastic cast together, yeah. uh, you realize that it's all about young. It's all about, this was the beginning. Dewey Phillips here, he's a crazy, I love this guy. But he had that youth yeah. for feel, because there was no rock and roll. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There was no madness. There was no sex and drugs. Yeah. There were no groupies. Uh-huh. There was nothing. Yeah. I mean, John Lennon said it best. Before Elvis, there was nothing. <laughs> well, I think I was saying uh, last week how unique it is to imagine that there was a time when there was a recording studio and nobody was coming in. Like, if there was a recording studio on the corner right now... <laughs> 
there would be a line around the block. Like, nobody would be, you know, everybody'd want to cut an album. Everybody'd want to be, you know, checking the couch cushions to see how much they can pull together to, like, put, you know, the, the fact that there were, was a small town up and coming record studio that was trying to get talent in there. And, you know, people like Elvis just walked through the door. Well, the thing that, that's fun, I could, was the diversity of music in those days. Because rock and roll started, they called it hillbilly bop, jungle bop, because of the black roots. And there was no, there was no rock and roll. The, the expression didn't come into Island Freed later on, which tortured Dewey Phillips because he felt that he created it. Yeah. But it was all a Coined rhythm. the term. Yeah, yeah. He, exactly. But R&B became rhythm and blues. But yeah. then it was, there. no one knew how to really describe this. Yeah. And... What's fun, and I think which is really great about what we were able to accomplish in the show, Chuck, meet our musical director, mm-hmm. recreated those songs, even though all of our actors sang for themselves. Everyone that you see, every performance, from the B.B. King to our Ike Turner, they all sang these songs. So you, you feel they're real because the instrumentation, the way they were recorded, are exact replicas. Yeah. But they have the new voice. Yeah. And and I think that what that makes the show special, and I, I don't know if I'm rambling, but I'm excited. We also go from R and B to country to yes. hillbilly to pop to you know you know kind of modern records at the time, mm-hmm. and that cross section in the show makes it feel fun. Yeah. Oh, are th- Sorry, no, I just going to say there's so much vivaciousness in it. All the characters are so convincing. I'm watching it not feeling like I'm watching a, a person trying to be Elvis. I feel like I'm actually watching Elvis. And it just kind of plays into the storyline of how you guys scripted the show. And I just kind of wanted to ask you, correct me if I'm wrong, because you developed it and you did a little bit of writing. Obviously, you're the executive producer. You wrote, right? Well, I, I wrote the shows, but I must say I had the fabulous Colin Escott, who is my writing partner. Mm-hmm. He wrote the play. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Gil Grant, a good friend, he was our showrunner, so we kind of tackled these scripts together and... I don't know, we just, it worked. Yeah, I, I kind of want to know and ask you about how that process was like and how you pulled information versus, um, like, fact must have took a lot of research. Yeah, because all of these things that I had no idea of, we've talked about it, I was Googling some of the information, like, did Johnny Cash really, you know, meet Vivian and then go off and for three years they didn't meet and then they got back and got married? It was true. So I just I just wanted to know how that kind of came out, how you are easily able to sift that into a storyline. Well, we were really lucky. Colin Escott mm-hmm. is considered one of the greatest rock historians alive today. Oh, really? And he's written more books. Okay. He's a walking encyclopedia. Forget Wikipedia. He's the whole you know, yeah. encyclopedia Britannica of rock and roll. Yeah. So he knows all that. And then we probably, we must have used almost 30 books. I mean, we were mm-hmm. research fanatics. We made one mistake that I won't tell you because it uh, aggravates the shit. Oh, I can't the say it. The fuzz No, you can. It aggravates me because we were off by a, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I, we mentioned a reference that we were too soon, and like, oh, how did we got biased? We aggravated. <laughs> oh, was it the fuzz base uh, episode? The episode with Ike Turner? No, uh, no, that's that's true. That fuzz was correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had to condense time, definitely, because we're still trying to tell a narrative story. So you guys are going to enjoy watching the show. <laughs> so at times we mush time a little bit, but there's certain things that 
we're, one mistake we made was we were like two years ahead of ourselves. Mm. But other than that... <laughs> you don't want to say what it was? Huh? You don't want to yeah. say what it well, was? Well, we, we, <laughs> we mentioned the name of a very famous book that hadn't been written yet. Oh, <laughs> so okay. other than that, it came out two years later. One critic kind of like gave us a little zinger on it, and I was like, oh, they saw that. Oh, and, they're waiting for those kind of... Yeah. <laughs> but, and the other, thing, the, other thing that was, the other thing that was really hard for us was Elvis's really most famous song was called That's All Right Mama, which mm-hmm. was the B-side to Blue Moon of Kentucky. Right. And that was the, the that was the seminal moment of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Now, we mentioned it in the show, but we couldn't get the rights. Right. Warner Brothers yeah. wouldn't give us the rights. So again, being a purist, I mean, we wrote to them, we begged them, we, we had the mayor sending the whole yeah. cast, but we couldn't get them. So we had to like do it by reference and played the B-side. Yeah. But those are the two things that kind of like, ooh, we just missed it. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, we we haven't noticed any of those things yet. I know that some fans, obviously, who are, like, diehard Elvis and Johnny Cash, like, they'll pick out small things here and there. But so far from what we've seen, it's just been so phenomenal, the way that everything flows into each other. I've wondered a lot, like, because, you know, back in that time... One song was written uh, by a songwriter and then covered by several people over and over again. So I'm always like, oh, I didn't realize that person did it first. Like, when I think Blue Moon of Kentucky, I think Patsy Cline's version, more so than Elvis, actually. Well, the original was by Bill Monroe. Okay. Bill Monroe was the father of Rockabilly. In this episode, uh, Elvis is... Is it Elvis that has the radio on and it's playing? Yeah, in, the, that's, in their home. That's, yeah. that's, that's Bill Murray. He is the father of rockabilly mm-hmm. and hillbilly music. And then, you guys know uh, Flat and Scruggs? Uh-huh. They were the guys from the Beverly Hillbilly songs uh-huh. or from Deliverance. And that, 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 that. <laughs> they were the guitar players for Bill Monroe. Oh, okay. And they came out of that band... And then they went on the road, became Flat and Scruggs, then they did the Beverly Hillbillies, then they did the famous Deliverance uh-huh. music. So <laughs> it all kind of starts to tie in together. So are you a big, would you call yourself a big music buff? I, you- I love music. Yeah. I am a big music buff. And it's something I, I it, my dad was in the music business. He, really? he brought, yeah, he brought the Beatles over to America, and he was partners with Jimmy Miller, really? who produced the <laughs> Rolling Stones. And, just holding yeah. out on now that. we were the Beatles. It's like, yeah, <laughs> they were a band back in the day, and um, it's yeah, it's fun. My my daughter Natalie's here. My wife here, hey, Natalie. Diane, and they have a picture of my dad with the Beatles and That's bringing him getting off of the, the plane. Group. And <laughs> no, that, that, that is, is he in that shot when they're like getting off of the plane? That would have been great, time, but he wasn't. No. I always call that because Bur- when you land in Burbank Airport, you know how you get off right. on the tarmac. I always call it "We Beatles off the plane" every yeah, time I oh, land in Burbank. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> yeah, I do have a picture of me when I was with the Beatles backstage at Dodger Stadium what? when I was like six years old and oh I'm sitting God. there and it's kind of yeah it's kind of fun <laughs> so I grew up with dad and got to watch all the music and and he handled Barry White and wow. the, you know different Lamont Dozier wrote all the Motown Baby Love Sunday Love oh, okay. so that was kind of like yeah. my youth wow and oh my gosh his two friends were Lieber and Stoller uh-huh. who wrote all the early they wrote he wrote Fever uh by Peggy, uh, by Peggy Lee, Lee. Mm-hmm. and then all the Elvis, Jailhouse Rock, mm-hmm. and Hound Dog. So it's kind of like I did not want to mess this up for the legacy of pop. Yeah. And, and Mike, uh, <laughs> Mike is still around, and he saw the show. It. The funniest thing was Paul Anka, mm-hmm. who was one of the old rock. He was at the office, and Mike Stoller came by, and when they saw Drake, they were hypnotized. Uh-huh. They said, "Like we brought Elvis back." 
it was it was a really thrilling moment. I I yeah. can imagine. It's just even just this episode in, in particular, we saw so much more of Elvis and, and Drake and we saw how he's just captivated this essence that you just don't even know how to describe it. Um and how do you feel like watching it back and knowing all of the work that you put into the research and just kind of watching all of the characters depict who these real people were, how do you feel about watching it? You know, I mean, I'm proud. I'm proud of <laughs> you it. should be. I'm pr- and I'm proud because I look at the dedication. It was really hard to make. We were really in Memphis. We didn't have a lot of money. So everyone put their heart and sweat. The city of Memphis rallied behind us. They actually came up with tax incentives, ways to keep us there. So every it became like a real family. We, you know, and, and what I was also excited about is Margaret Ann and Jennifer, who plays Becky, the the women in the piece also were were stronger. We didn't want to make them like they were just behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So I feel that when you look at the cast and then you look at all the department heads and what we had to go through, and at times you're thinking, you don't know what it's like when you're on the set. Oh, am I doing this? It's terrible. And it's hot and you're dying. And then when it starts to come together, and and now when you get this reception, like I said earlier, you're, you're just proud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. It's just crazy to see all of just like the, the acting and all of the music and everything that's intertwined in it and just... The, the notability of you guys have kind of remade some of these songs in a way in order to, like you say, have them be on TV and throw in music that wasn't necessarily um, made, like, obviously was made for the show. Because I think it was Christian was telling us, or maybe it was Kevin was saying that there's a song that you guys wrote specifically for the show because you couldn't get One rights. of B.B. King's songs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that, that, that goes to Chuck. Chuck, I mean, we create mm-hmm. the style, the exact, re- we recreate the instrumentation, the proper microphone. Mm-hmm. And then oh, yeah. Kevin was saying that the Sun Studio is an exact replica of the real Sun it's Studio. It's an exact. Yeah. All of that so is great. exactly right. But where we shot Sam Phillips, that was his house. Mm-hmm. The Bonton Cafe is the real Bonton oh, Cafe. Oh, that was really Sam Phillips' house? That was really what? Sam no Phillips' way. house. That's where he grew up. Okay. That's where Elvis was. So, wow. I mean, we shot every place that was, like, actually there. The arcade is where Elvis hung out. We sang in his booth. I mean, all those are the real places, and I think oh. that's the other reason why people are loving the show. Yeah, it's, it's you don't know it's real, but you feel yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> that's a good tip. I guess mm-hmm. that kind of is why it makes it feel so real, is because not like little do we know that these are real places. Now we do, everybody. <laughs> we know that they're. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, when you watch the show, you're watching it for the plot. I understand, but there's so many little things that are real that we don't tell you, but it feels great. But when you look it up, all these stories with silly things that are coming up, you wouldn't know. I'll give you a, t- a tidbit for next season. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Johnny Cash named his first daughter Roseanne. Mm-hmm. Right? We all know that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Be- uh, uh, <laughs> no. Quiz. Uh, quiz, <laughs> I quiz. I don't know, unfortunately. Because he referred to Vivian, mm-hmm. his wife, her boobs. He named one Rose and he named one <laughs> Anne. And that was their little gang. So basically, he comes out, Roseanne. So 
No one would know that, but it's a little bit of trivia. Yeah. And we're going to work that into the storyline. So we get season two CMT. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be able to see why she's called Roseanne. That's a deep cut trivia. Because like whenever you see those lists of like 10 things you didn't know about Elvis, and it's right. always like, oh, he was a twin. And it's like, everybody right. knows that. Right. Nope. Didn't know that Roseanne Cash was named after Vivian's boobs. Uh, that nope. is a great tidbit of trivia. But we get all that from Colin. I mean, that, and we really work hard to come in and come up with little stories and little moments mm-hmm. of and I think that's what makes the show so fun. Definitely. And you guys heard it first, so make sure you're hashtagging renew sun. Hashtag Vivian's yeah. boobs. Yeah. <laughs> we right. need to make sure we're getting that word out there because this definitely needs to get picked up for another season. But going back to what you were saying and just the storyline and everything, um so with there being a season two and everything, you had mentioned there's more music that you wanted to share. Um and these remixes are really cool. Do you want to talk about some of the ones that you're favorite? Well, we have two different things. Okay. Uh, on the remix, we'll show you one that hasn't come out yet. We're going to put this out. We we took like some of the great songs that were done, in, but we put them into a modern version, and they're going to come out in a, in 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 a little bit. I can't tell you one okay. for the fans. So we have one song that Elvis sang in the early, in the probably late fifties, fifty seven, fifty six, called "I Need Your Love Tonight." Mm-hmm. But we took Drake. We went in and we did kind of like a like a punk rock version of it, and to show like how those songs are timeless. If you want to throw on 30, 60 seconds of it. This is Drake oh singing. Gosh. This is Drake. And did Chuck mix it? Did he? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, this is our guys in L.A. We had a great Ozzy, Donas, and Greg Khan. Rockers from LA, mm-hmm. they did this one. Oh, that's cool. a, so I'm like, keep playing. I'm like, this is yeah, great. So, that, so that's a different version. And this, <laughs> this is so great. High five, high, and the lights down low. Anyway, but, but that's where we took. But when you go back and you listen to Elvis, I mean, Elvis is Elvis. But we tried to take it and make that some fun. Uh-huh. So I did bring a couple things on a, on a list be, to show uh-huh. you the difference. Everyone knows Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, yeah. But next season, we've got a song that we're going to work in. And it's going to be a very, uh, hopefully it's going to be a big Mambo scene oh where Chad, who's taking Mambo lessons, Chad Montgomery, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy about him. Uh, I call him up and I say, do you dance? Well, I'll, whatever you need, Les. You know? <laughs> and he, he said, uh, I said, I'm going to need you to take some Mambo. Really? I said, yeah. I want you to start practicing now. Because I will tell you, uh-huh. before the show started... All these kids went to what we call band camp. Mm-hmm. And for almost four or five weeks before, we'd play, we'd sing, we'd practice. After work, we'd go to the Gibson Guitar Center where they gave us uh, like a stage. And it became just jam sessions. So these kids really learned to play and sing. So now they got to dance. But the reason I picked this particular song, it's um, by Perez Prado. It was racing up the charts at number one. Against Heartbreak Hotel. So, you all know Heartbreak Hotel, Mm -hmm. but this is how crazy the diversity of music was at the time. So now picture Chad having to go up, and for a romantic scene at dinner, he's at the (laughs) top of this Peabody Hotel with this big orchestra, and he's going to mambo. So, this is a little... Check it out. You got this one pulled up? What song? It's called Cherry Cherry Pink Pink? and Apple Blossom. (laughs) Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom. Oh. And this is the Mambo. But could you imagine 
these were the two songs that were yeah. go- racing up the Billboard charts. Yeah. And I think for number one for for like younger viewers out there, can I say that Perez Prado was the Ricky Ricardo of his time? Oh, he, <laughs> he was. was. He was the you know introduced Cuban uh, beats to the mainstream America. That's right. I can just picture how this is going to happen and how this is going to play down. Oh, he's got a big band and everyone is going to mambo and move. Yes. And then it goes right. This is the next part where it goes and you hear. But this is what was going on in America. Anyway, so that's kind of to show you that the other, the other, you know, that and that. Anyway, I think that's part of the fun. Yeah. And the diversity of music. Where you go from that, and then the other record that was that was number one at the time, which was a very like pop girl singer, was the thing called. If you have music, 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 music. Yeah, we're we're playing it right now. Who's yeah. singing that? Uh, yeah, who sings that? Oh, that well, that was by I believe it was Teresa Brewer. Let me just check. Yeah. music I, it just makes me so happy well, like, that you was can't it. help there, there smile. Was, well, you know the 50s was the joyous time it was coming yeah. after the war that's mm-hmm. when everyone became the, the baby boomers yeah. and then, one income houses two car garage <laughs> that's right that's right well, and I think the show just kind of like helps I mean I I'm not I didn't know too much history about Elvis and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and there's some there I've I feel bad saying this but sometimes there's some of the history I didn't know and songs I knew they sang but I didn't like put the name with the actual song together so I think what's so great about Sun Records in general is it's like kind of giving me history and actually making me remember the songs that are so interesting um, that I want to go back and listen to because now I'm going back and going on iTunes and like finding the playlist like you know on iTunes radio you can pull up all of these old songs and I'm just listening to them over and over again on repeat and it's making me go back even further and I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of Frank Sinatra and stuff or like not further but you know what I mean it's just opening my music palette larger and wider well I'm so thrilled I mean you girls are 20 something and that you like this it it it's really exciting because it shows music is just timeless timeless and but, that anybody can sing anything at yeah. any time. And I'm also glad that, you know, you you have this list of music that you brought in because you said uh, for season two you want to get a little bit more obscure. And um, I'm excited about that because um, sort of uh, conversely from what Ali was saying, like, I've been going to every rockabilly show uh, in the Southern California area for the past 10 years where, you know, seeing Jerry Lee Lewis while I can and seeing, you know, the legends while they're still alive. And when you're in the rockabilly scene, it can sometimes get a very precious about the music and they want to see the obscure songs and they want to and I wish I had the knowledge that a lot of my friends who are super into Rockabilly had um, I don't have that super deep cut knowledge and stuff like that but um, but you have the, the passion and I you know what the, you have the curiosity and you're yeah, going to get it and so when the more obscure songs are introduced I think that they're really going to uh, yeah oh, it, it's, it's going to bridge the gap between the rockabilly nerds and the people who are just being introduced to it. Do you remember the end of episode 4 mm-hmm. where Chad's getting the electro shock? 
Yes. That, oh, Allie was losing her mind over I, that. I, I, like, I seriously had tears in my eyes, and I had to step away and look away because I just couldn't handle what was happening <laughs> on the screen. You would love to watch Allie watching the episode oh, because as she's watching, she's just going like, oh my, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very allured by that. I sometimes I'm like, sorry guys, like don't mean to be loud, but it's true, and it just. It give it like makes you feel so much emotion, and you feel like you're watching it as if it's like a real, like almost like a play. Well, that song was called "I Apologize." Mm. It was a big record by Billy Eckstein, who was a very famous black crooner of the day. Uh-huh. But I thought that would be it was like a romantic, and let's reinterpret it as Elvis. Now, here's what was crazy: everyone, uh, and I got to tell you, my writers, even though I love them, I love them, but they they didn't want it. Gil didn't want it. Colin didn't want it. I love Chuck. He didn't want it. And finally, I said, I'm pulling rank. <laughs> I'm pulling rank. We're going with this song. Well, we did the song, and everyone's loved it. It worked out. I'm reading the book on Sam Phillips. Mm-hmm. In the book, talk about giving you like kind of goosebumps. It says, well, Elvis loved this song by Billy Eckstein called I Apologize. And he sang it. Before anyone knew, but he didn't record it. Oh. When when I read that, it was like it took me, and I said, "Oh my goodness!" So here, I've got a song I'll tee up for you. It's by Frank Sinatra. Oh my gosh, love him. Everyone's Frank. Yes, <laughs> the chairman of the board. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bet all of you, unless you're total Sinatra diehards, you've never heard this song that I'm gonna play. Okay. By the by the chairman. Challenge of the board. accepted. Yes. Right, Natalie, who's the chairman of the board? Breaks and who's the boss? Bruce Who's yeah. the king? Elvis. All right. so Old blue eyes. That was her, her bar mitzvah speech. She needed to know those things. But at the end of the day, this song is going to be a plot point because everyone knew his mother, Gladys and Elvis, were, were very close. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of awkwardly close. Mm-hmm. And so they were jealous, and Fern was jealous of the relationship between mother and son. So we have a fun scene where Elvis... Is going through a bunch of songs, and he's going to sing this famous song that was going on at the time by Frank Sinatra in the charts. So just take a little listen. It's called so, "Hey Jealous Lover." Hey Jealous Lover. Well, right before we get the song queued up, this yeah. episode had a great scene with with Elvis, his mom, and his dad, and it was really kind of great to see his dad finally. Almost not given, but be a little bit supportive of his dreams and everything that's happening. Because so far we've seen so much of the pushback. And right. obviously, oh, here we've got it. Oh. You're acting so strange. jealous lover. Hey, picture Elvis singing this with the rock and roll. Oh my yeah. gosh. Stand up bass. jealous lover. I can bet only... that made Frank so this... flip over a tape. Is this something that's going to be in the remixes? Uh, well, no, this will be in season two if we okay. get there. <laughs> Again, hashtag renew Sun Records for right season two. Right to CMT, two. exactly. Yes. <laughs> Let's shout it out. Um, but no, really, going back to like Elvis and his whole relationship, um, it's crazy to see his support from his mom and how she even... We've talked about how women, like, they are so powerful, and especially in the show, we're seeing a lot of their pushback. And a lot of the women have pushed their opinions and everything. And that's kind of like the mom was just like, shh, shh, be quiet. I, I need to listen to this, like, when he presented the song to her last time. And, and then again, this, like, episode, she was like, come on, let's do it. And I really like the actress that plays Elvis's mom, too. Oh, my gosh. She's, oh, she's great. She's also in um, Walking Dead. Really? Yeah. Oh, she is. Yes. 
So it was very funny because my friend Jeffrey Dean Morgan in Walking Dead, he was in Texas Rising. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, he would go, um, We our Anne would go from Walking Dead to us. She would travel from Atlanta to Memphis, and we would be telling different stories. You um, I got something caught in my eye, oh, and now it looks like I'm I getting, like, I know I'm getting like, emotional oh, here on screen. Um, Everybody's like, she really loves Sinatra. She's, what's it bringing up for a minute? But I've got <laughs> it the fact. It was the fact that you'd never heard that song before. It's That's just, right. It was it's, so it's, it's so windy outside, and I think something like residual blew in my eye. <laughs> oh no! Um, but yeah, I mean, well, she's an amazingly talented actress, and just every time she walks into the scene, it's it's she just brings off a warmth. And even last episode, I was talking about how Elvis and his mom. It was just such a precious moment between the two of them. Um, and I guess we'll probably see more of that. And I didn't know their history and like all that thing about mother son. And you said it was almost like weirdly close. They were very and- close. They were uncannily close. And it was very tough. And when his mother died, mm-hmm. Elvis went into a deep depression. Mm-hmm. And as, as the story told, Sam Phillips was actually he worked in a in a mortuary oh. when he was young. And Elvis, Elvis wouldn't leave his, Gladys's body. And mm-hmm. she was there at Graceland. He locked himself away for days. And the colonel had to finally go to Sam because Elvis wouldn't talk to anybody. And they needed Sam to go in and get Elvis to surrender the body so that she could be buried. And he was locked with her for three days alone. Wow. In a, in a major dark depression because she died very young. Yeah. That's so But sad. it turns out Sam Phillips, years later, really was very close to Elvis and helped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's emotional. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I'm sorry, Tamara. <laughs> We're making you cry. Can't handle any of it anymore. <laughs> no, I mean that's it's. It, you can just tell they're you know as mother and son. It's just so close, and they do a great job of bringing off that warmth in this episode. And and speaking of not exact warmth, maybe the complete opposite. The Colonel, his character obviously was a real person. Is so interesting to watch. Because we've mentioned before how you guys have portrayed it as kind of almost like a comedic thing. All the music is kind of that circusy, funny vibe. And then what you realize is it's something really serious that's happening at the same time. So what was your thought um, into putting that kind of humor into that character? Well, that's a credit to Billy Gardell. Okay. Billy Gardell was a, I mean, he's, I just think he's a masterful actor. Everyone knows him as a comedian. Mm-hmm. But sometimes some comics, you know, Jack Lemmon, and when you look at these people, they are funny, but they really can create a dramatic underbelly. Mm-hmm. And some of the best comedians are really great dramatic actors. Yeah. And because the Colonel is what we called, you know, the expression a huckster, mm-hmm. back in the day they called them hucksters. And you, know, you can call them a carny pitch man. And they always had the different cons, but you needed to have a little bit of a sly charm and a wit and a self-deprecation because you can't con somebody if you're just a rat prick. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to have that disarmingly charming ability to sucker somebody in. And Billy was able to imbue that. His role and Keir O'Donnell, who plays Dewey, these two roles are really even more challenging because they can be over the top. And at a certain point, they could cross the line and become cornball. Or like just silly or stupid, yeah. but they were able to walk that line. And what Billy Gardell, as the colonel, was able to do is you realize he's a serious guy. You don't want to cross him. But if you think about it, everyone feels that the colonel was a dastardly villainous man, mm-hmm. bad guy. And did you know how much he 
took out of Elvis's commission. Everyone was pretty famous. I mean, in total, I thought wasn't it like three million or something like no, that. Well, yes, but they but but it wasn't the money. It was he took fifty percent. Oh, the percentage. Yeah, they yeah. were fifty fifty partners. Wow. And normally a manager commission is 15% or 10%. So now in, in hindsight, people say, oh, my God, Elvis got ripped off. Yeah. And the colonel, how and could doesn't he be? Elvis, he, like, had defend, he would always defend him? He right? would. Because here's the other perspective. Yeah. I mean, without Elvis, I mean, without the colonel, mm-hmm. there was no Elvis. Mm-hmm. And back in the day in the 50s, there was nobody branded. Elvis is the first branded entertainer. You had movie stars, they called them bigger than life. But a personality, right. someone who transcended movies, music, rock and roll, live concerts, someone who became this That's picture true. was all created by the Colonel. So yeah. the Colonel said basically, it's called EPP, Elvis Presley Enterprises, right? Uh-huh. And what what they were talking about was let's say you and I are partners. Mm-hmm. We're gonna open a restaurant. Yeah. You're the greatest chef in the world. But just because you cook doesn't mean you can run a restaurant. Right. So the colonel was like, I will handle everything. We're partners. You do the front and the singing. I will run everything else. And that was his philosophy. Right. But the colonel was always about the money. Yeah. And Elvis, who came from abject poverty, knew nothing, knew nothing of the world or sophistication, wouldn't have gotten to where he would have been. How many one-hit wonders... Yeah. How many small people that we love of the day? You maybe I don't know if you ever heard of Fabian. Mm-hmm. You know, I have. Good for you. <laughs> so, but Fabian, uh, Frankie Avalon, mm-hmm. these were big stars in those days, but they never came back because they didn't have a man like the Colonel, right? Making him a star. But for a little trip tidbit, one day look up Fabian, look up okay. Frankie Avalon, and you'll say, oh, these were big stars yeah. of that era, right? George Hamilton Jr. But they all had a record. Uh, but no one ever heard of him because it was the colonel mm-hmm. who took him and made him what he is today. Mm-hmm. So you got to give the devil his due. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. That's I mean, that true. makes that I makes sense. And that like he that. does. I mean, everything that you've said, it's just like the colonel in general and Billy Gardell. He's done such a great job of capturing this kind of comedic but funny yet serious, scary kind of character, and it's all wrapped up in one. And it's it's very captivating to watch. If you'd like a little, one more little yeah, please, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a little tidbit, famous famous story, famous quote actually happened with the colonel. It'll, it'll be in next season. Okay, where the colonel, when all the controversy was going out, because it, it, Elvis becomes scandalous, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you realize the church groups protest him. All the schools protest him. They, they start burning his records. And there's a whole anti-Elvis movement because they think he's corrupting the use. Yeah. He's he's bringing the white into the black world, the black and the white world. Mm. All these things that were, were just outrageous of the day. And that thing he does with his hips. That's right. Elvis the pelvis. So <laughs> basically what happened was a lot of people hated him. And if you're listening to, watch, I'll play a funny cue later by Perry Como. Okay. But... You listen to it, you say, half. So the colonel says, all right, we got to print up. We're going to the concert. And they're protesters. And he says, I want you to print up 5,000 buttons. He says, I need 5,000. I love Elvis. He said, you know what? And give me 5,000. I hate Elvis. And the guy said, how can you put 5,000? I hate Elvis. He says, you know what? Half the people love him. Half the people hate him. But I get 100% of the money. That's that's he genius. Sold. Guy betting against the craps table. That's oh right. my gosh! But that's the Colonel <laughs> yeah, Parker because yeah. he was about the money. Yeah, didn't matter. Elvis will take yeah. care of you. Colonel didn't even believe in the rock and roll. He thought it was a fad mm-hmm. and it would be over. That's why I wanted to get Elvis in the movies. 
I was always wanted to be a crooner like Dean Martin. Oh my gosh. So you take a song, uh, one other little fun thing. I don't, well, we have a song by, I don't know if it's in there, by Perry Como. Do you have a Perry Como? Called um, Rockabye? I don't think they have Rockabye. Rock-a- I think, let's see. Rockabye. Uh, no. All right. Well, I didn't know what they had sent. I'm not sure if that one's in there. Let me check because I think it should be. I know there's a, a Perry Cuomo song listed. Is a, is that, what's the title of it? Because I think he's searching by titles. Uh, yeah, the Jukebox Baby. Jukebox is, Baby. Jukebox. Go yeah. with Jukebox Baby. Because this was a rock and roll song, mm-hmm. but Perry Cuomo was the biggest, like Sinatra. Yeah. And there was uh, Eddie Fisher, Carrie Fisher's father, mm-hmm. the and Perry Cuomo. But he took rock and roll and he made this rock and roll. But it's not rock and roll. Right. But imagine it rock and roll. Yes. I think Wanda Jackson sang Jukebox Baby, covered it, right? (laughs) So this is taking a rock and roll version, but but basically making Middle America pop. Yeah. I think that's what's so crazy about all this music is it's 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 like they say rockabilly and rock and roll, rock and roll and country, and it's just everything intertwined into one. And I think that's maybe even why the genre is so timeless because it captures like all of your music taste buds into one song and you're just able to just feel happy and it just brings off a great energy about it um, as does the show which I would love to ask you you know working on this show with a bunch of music and it's clearly something you're passionate about how does that kind of compare to any of the other projects that you've worked on do you is it kind of standalone do you feel like it's just awakened all of your your music inspiration well you know there's a there's an old famous song by Steven Spielberg. I'm not Steven Spielberg. Steven Stills, mm-hmm. which was called "Love the One You're With." Mm-hmm. And if you can't be with, with the, the one, one you love, love honey, love, love, love the, the one, one you're with. with. That's how I feel about my show. So when I was making Hatfields and McCoys, that was to me one of the great moments of my life. Standing mm-hmm. in the hills of Transylvania, we were like two miles from Count Dracula's. Uh, castle, <laughs> and there's Kevin Costner and Bill Paxton, and we have like I don't know, hundred horses on two sides, and they come battling in shooting. It's the greatest moment of my life. I mean, other than Natalie's birth over there, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> but with, but then uh, you're loving it, and then all of a sudden you're out there, and we're doing Texas Ray, yeah. Texas Rangers, and 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 Texas Rising. You're sitting there, and we're at the Alamo. And we come in, the battles are going. It's Oh, my, it's the greatest thing. It goes back to when I did Walker, Texas Ranger, and I'm sitting there on a set, and I'm a young kid, much skinnier. And you see Chuck Norris come in, boom, kung fu. You love it. So now I'm at Sun Records. There's nothing. Okay, I forgot about it. This is now. So for me, this is the thing that I love the most because... It's 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 magic. It's time, and I love doing period pieces. We do contemporary things too, but to go back in time, it's like the one chance we have, which would be close to H U L's the time machine. The movie business can take you back, mm-hmm. and if you do it right, you're standing there and you're watching everybody in the old cars and the old clothes. Yes. you feel like you're love there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can definitely say that you guys have for sure taken us back into a time that some of us have not been able to experience and it's just amazing and every show every episode has just totally it's it's 
one in one in the like one of the different. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but it's all different. <laughs> they're all standalone, and they're just so intriguing. And this episode definitely left us on a cliffhanger. So I cannot wait for next episode, and I'm really hoping we get a season two. So yeah. again, third time's a charm. Let's keep Can hashtagging. Can I make some requests for Please, season two? Yes. <laughs> I want to see Wanda Jackson. I know she wasn't she wasn't a part of Sun Records, but she dated Elvis at one point. I am hoping that you're going to incorporate Wanda's there. We, we, yes. We're talking about Patsy Klein. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Chuck Berry who just passed, Little Richard. Yes. Of course, I mean, we want to be able to bring in all yeah. of that Fats Domino. And a very lesser known, he was only with Sun briefly as a studio musician, musician Charlie Feathers, but I love him because he uh, started the like, <clears throat> the hiccup in, in the rock. <clears throat> he, he was like big into doing that. So I Sonny love Charlie Burgess. Feathers. Sonny yeah, I Burgess. love Sonny Burgess. He's yeah. going to be in the next season. So it's going to be, and then of course we're going to have Perez Prado. Nice. And nice. we will have uh, Guy Lombardo. So Ernest Tubb. For the country awesome. people who love, awesome. uh, you know, and that that's kind of fun for us, and it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, Leslie, I just want to thank you so much for Good. taking the time to come and talk to us and us Sun Records fans out here because I am excited to hear everything about it and Sun Records all the <laughs> thank way. You. Um, thank you. Thank yes. you for being fans. Thank you for inviting me and, and inviting my cast. I mean, of I course. I love I love my cast and we and, do. I mean, we do too. They're amazing, and I can just tell that you guys are a huge family. As much as they mention it, it feels that way as well. So, um, just thank you again. And again, where can they find um, your production company on social media, Sun Records? Uh, Thinkfactorymedia.com. You'll see all the stuff that we do. And I think um, we reveal Mama June this week. Oh, that's uh, exciting. Can't uh, wait to see the makeover. Where can they they find Mama June? Uh, That's on WeTV. WeTV? WeTV. So, so it's kind of fun on both ways. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, I got I got to get our other people to come and see this show. It's Definitely. so much fun. Yes. yes. Uh, you know, I mean, we've got Linda here. Linda, we've got to get her from Mary Boot Camp, <laughs> and you know, we got to get Miss Chalet because we had done that. Oh, that'd movie, be awesome. Surviving oh Compton, yeah, yes. that we did for Lifetime, and we've turned that into a reality series now. Amazing. Uh, yes, we've been nominated for the Gracie Award. Congratulations! And, uh, the Guild Award. So the Surviving Compton. Uh, did really well, but we got to get Michelet to come here. Yeah, we'll just bring awesome. everybody out. Amazing. So well, thank cool. you thank again, you so much, everybody. Thank this you. is Leslie Greif. So amazing to thank have you. him here. Thank you. Yeah. So much. Yeah, give him a round of applause. It was fun. Yes. Well, um, right before we go, Tamara, where can they find you on social I'm media? I'm Tamara Brown. Just Google me. I'm one of the co-hosts, as always. <laughs> Leslie, did you have something you wanted to say? I just want to thank okay. you both, man. Thank yeah. you. I, I well, love thank it. you. We seriously right. huge fans of the show. And keep watching Sun Records right to CMT. We want to come back. Of course. And you heard it right from Leslie himself. Again, I'm Allie Nasta. You can find me on Twitter at Allie Nasta and on Instagram at Allie Girl. We will see you guys next week for episode seven. Bye. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other aftershows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 